Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, we um, have been tracking through um, one of my favorite series we do. Um, When I did it the first time, I knew we were by no means going to only do it one time. So when we, when we got into the classics, we immediately called it the classics volume one because I knew there'd be multiple volumes. So guess what? We're on volume three now. So if you were to put all of it together, we would literally like have half a year's worth of message. Like we've got 28 or so messages inside of all of these, um, uh, the classics. And then in a couple of years, I'm sure we'll do volume four because there's just so many rich Uh, stories of the people who lived in this world trusting God. And I wanted to remind you of that. These aren't Bible characters, okay? We'll sometimes say that. You're like, who's your favorite Bible character? Um, No, they're a Bible person. These people lived. This happened. These are not allegories. These are not little stories that help us to learn a little sweet lesson at the end of the day. No, these are people who lived, they struggled, they doubted, they believed, they, they moved forward, and, and we can learn from their lives. And that's kind of the whole point of this series, is to kind of delve back into some of these spaces. Um, maybe some people you are super familiar with, maybe some people you're not that familiar with. So if you've been around church for a while, you're going to know the guy we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a guy named Jacob. Um, you're going to be have been familiar with him. But if you're new to church, I think you're going to be able to connect with Jacob um, quite a bit. And so we've led off, if you're following along with your bulletin or your, your app or however you're going to track along, that we've led off with these, this similar idea that, that the life of Jacob um, shows us what it means to, to know God better and to trust him more. Our core mission we are able to understand and grow, move forward. And our personal desire to know God better and trust him more by looking at the life of Jacob. And we've been launching with this passage of scripture because this kind of sets the framework for us that Hebrews chapter 12, verse one says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders We all know that that in our walk with God, there's there's some stuff that gets in the way. There's there's some stuff that that hinders. And then there's also stuff that's sin. A lot of the stuff that's hindrance, we wouldn't classify it as sin. And that's why sometimes the hindrances can get in the way. Because the sin stuff, we can kind of go chapter and verse. Like, yeah, that's not life-giving. Let's not do that. But some of the hindrances are just the little casual stuff that gets in the way, but there's those and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, here's the challenge as we've walked through this a little bit. There's a race marked out for us. We've talked about that. But what happens when you aren't really happy with the way it's marked? You're like, uh, God, I want the marker. Uh, give me the marker, okay? In fact, God, I kind of already have the marker and I'm here at church because I want you to, to bless how I'm marking. I've got a pretty good idea of how I want my life to go and I kind of like this idea of a God who loves me and is for me, which means if he loves me, 
he's going to say I'm, he's cool with whatever I want because if you love me, you got to say you're cool with what I want. No. No, love wants what's best, not what you want. All of us know that at times we, as parents, you know, we, we see the little ones and they want something and we know that's not what's best. Then all of a sudden, what, it, what makes us think that all of a sudden at 48 years old, that all of a sudden I now know better than God? That all of a sudden, simply because it's 48, I feel like I have some life experience and some stuff. That all of a sudden now, my wants, God, if you love me, you're just going to bless my wants. You're going to bless the things I've decided are good for me. No. That's why we have to know who he is and trust him. That's why it's putting aside our way and going his way. That's what discipleship looks like. But so many times we show up to church because we go, God, I've got a marker. I'm going to mark out my life, and I want you to bless it. And if you're a God of love, you're going to bless my marking. And he says, no, I'm a God of love, so I've marked it out, and that's where the blessing is. The blessing is the race I've marked out for you. So as we look at this, we're, that's one of the challenges we see in the life of Jacob. Because sometimes it just feels like Jacob was getting kind of pushed around on some things, even though there were some things that were clearly marked out for him. Whenever I was in high school, um, my summer job, um, I worked as a, on a masonry construction crew. And so, and the company that I worked for um, built schools and prisons, and so built big buildings, and so big stuff, did uh, government contracts and all that. Um, and I was not a block layer, brick layer. So I was a brick layer's helper. And so I would have to stock the block. I would have to mix the mud. I would have to drive some forklifts sometimes. I would have to do some things. But then as I got for moved forward, they left me on finish-up crew, which I had to go through and deal with all of the final touch-up for the final inspection comes in. So I had to inspect every grout line, every place where the mortar was at, fill it in, sand off any extra stuff. I just would spend a week just going over every square inch of block. And this was before podcasts. It was terrible. It was terrible. If I'd have had to like some good podcast or an audio book, it would have been a pretty cool summer job. But I'm out there in the Odessa 100 in death heat, and I'm out there in these in these unfinished buildings doing this. It was terrible. And so, but it paid good. So that worked. Um, so I, as I would do that, well, well, then because I'm the last guy off the job site, there would be stuff left on the job site. And I didn't have a truck that the company provided. I had a 1980 F100 that was a single cab, a long bed, 300 straight six with three speed and an overdrive, okay? And so this was this, this the, the old school 300 straight six. They had a lot of torque, not much get up and go. Um, it, it would just run wide out at 75 miles an hour. And somehow I got all my tickets in a truck that topped out at 75 miles an hour. And... Um, but anyway, so I got left on this job site, and my boss told me, he said, I need you to hook up to this trailer with your truck, and I need you to haul it across town from this side of Midland to the other side of Midland um, to this next school we're going to be working on. So I look at the, I look at the trailer. 
um, and there is an entire uh, pallet of cinder block on the trailer. There's an entire pallet of uh, concrete mix on it and a bobcat tractor all on this trailer. And he says, I need you to hook up to it, and I need you to go across town. Um, I didn't, you know, know about, you know, that there's like towing capacities and, you know, I was just, I got a truck, that's a trailer, I'll hook up, I'll take it across. So I hook up to it and all of a sudden as I was like undoing the thing, it, my truck is just getting lower and lower and lower to the ground. And then my truck looks like this, like it's going to launch into the sky and I put that sucker into first gear, and all of a sudden, it don't want to move, and I'm going along, and I'm burning clutch, and it is just t smelling terrible, and I get this train moving. I get it going down the street in Midland, Texas, and I'm going along not very fast. You know, I'm going about 30 miles an hour, and, and I'm going along, and I come up to a stoplight, and I go to stop, and I hit my brakes, and I just keep on going. <laughs> And everybody's just looking at me, and I'm just like, I'm trying, folks. And I just keep on going. But the problem wasn't the fact that for, of my truck. My truck's brakes worked normally. The problem was is that I had attached to something someone else expected of me. And then all of a sudden now, my life didn't function right. I'm getting pushed through things, not because of me, but because of something I embraced that someone else expected of me. All of a sudden, we can begin to find our lives where we're sitting here and go, why are things not working? Why am I being pushed through into dangerous spaces? Because you've embraced something someone else expected of you. Not the God who built you, not the God who wired you, not the God who called you, but you've embraced the load someone else expected of you. And here was the thing. He didn't go out there. My boss did not go out there and sit there and hook it up for me. I hooked it up. I embraced it. I said yes to it. And at some point, you and I, if we're going to live the life God has called us to live, we're going to have to go, you know what? That's not my load. That's not my load. We're going to have to embrace what God has called us to embrace, do what God has called us to do, and not try to carry the load the world or people or family or anybody else tries to begin to put on us. We're only going to be able to live in the space God's called us to live. We're going to have to understand that. Because, see, sometimes we can struggle. We can struggle with our version of God's plan. We begin to have a hint of what God may have for us, and we begin to extrapolate. We're good at it. We're good at it. All right, right now I want you to think of a white car. Okay, you did. Okay. But if I was to ask you make and model... As I went around the room, it would be different vehicles. A white car may have been a white car you actually have seen, driven, owned. Maybe a white car you want. Maybe what, but you would all have it because as soon as I give you a hint of something, your brain is wonderfully adept in filling it in with your experiences and your desires. I say white car, and you fill in the gaps with your experiences and your desires. And all of a sudden, we can begin to do that with God. The Holy Spirit gives us a hint 
of what he has for our lives. And then we go, okay, God, I get that. My experiences, my desires, I fill in the gaps of these hints that the Holy Spirit takes along. Let's go and let's look at the life of Jacob. In Genesis 25, verse 21, it says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. Let's just pause right there. What a beautiful moment this is in the scripture. Isaac praying on behalf of his wife. He ain't praying because of his wife. Lord, I'm here to talk to you about that woman again. I've done this a couple times, and she's the same. No, he's not here. He's not there talking because of his wife. He's praying on behalf of his wife. He's, in a, he's an intercessor for his wife. His wife has a struggle, which we are about to see, and Isaac prays on behalf of it. Somebody right now just got their tank full. You're like, that's the message I need. I'm good, Pastor. Go to lunch, but do it. Because somebody here needs to pray, begin to intercede on behalf of their wife instead of because of their wife. I don't know who you are, but you do. But anyways, but he prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. It's heartbreaking heartbreaking place. And Isaac comes alongside and he begins to carry some of that load and he begins to empathize and he begins to pray. And the Lord answered his prayer. And his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant and the babies jostled each other within her womb. See, she was pregnant with twins. And she said, why is this happening to me? And so she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two nations. You understand the implications of this? That these were gonna be the beginnings of two entire nations, not a city, not a region, but these people groups that would tie their identity back to each of the babies within her womb. And the two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. And the older will serve the younger. The younger one is going to carry a significant blessing on their lives. This gets told to Rebecca. The word of the Lord comes to her. So as these children are born, she understands something, something significant in the birth order. As they come out, there's already a promise. They're they're both going to be nations. They're both great great men. Both are going to make change the world. But there's a significant place of blessing on the younger. And now they're twins. Younger is by seconds, minutes. It's just right there. But here as we begin to move forward in verse 24, it says that when the time it came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. And the first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. And so they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out and his hand was grasping Esau's heel. 
And so he was named Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. He was named Jacob. That, that name literally means one who grasps at the hill or supplanter. Another version is trickster. That it was this idea that his older brother came up first and it was like he was reaching out, grabbing and trying to say, not yet, buddy, I'm first. But it was too late. But the blessing was on the one that was born second. And it appears that there's this space that even from birth, Jacob was trying to make happen what God had already promised. And there's a ton of us who understand and got a little inkling of the promise of God in our hearts and our lives. And we go out and we try to make it happen on our own instead of letting God take the lead. In fact, as we see Jacob's life, that's a ton of his life, of him just trying to make things happen this place. Because I guarantee you, Jacob was aware of this promise on his life. In fact, verse 27 says, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Esau, he was out, he was rowdy, he was a hunter, he was, he was a West Texas good old boy. But Jacob, he stayed at the house. He stayed there with mom. And so Isaac, who had a taste for game, Isaac liked to barbecue. He loved Esau. Here we see Jacob loved his son because his son's interest aligned with his. Golly, that's an old story, isn't it? How many children have pursued what their dad was interested in just to try to get some extra love? How many, how many sons have put on some cleats or some shoulder pads, grabbed a racket or showed some interest in business, showed some interest in some different things because dad loved that and if I do that, that'll love me. Stories as a hold as Genesis creates problems, creates pain, creates tension. We see this. Isaac, dad, showed favor towards Esau, the firstborn who was going to get the bulk of the inheritance anyways, according to tradition. But Rebekah, Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, we don't know why Rebecca loves Jacob. We don't know if, Je if she knew that he was the second and she had the promise of God that the second child was going to have a significant blessing. We, we don't have to say that. But the Spirit of the Lord spoke to her and gave that. And so as Jacob is staying among the tents and he has the favor of his mom, I guarantee mom reminded him, you and your brother, you're both going to be great men. Nations are going to rise from you, but son, don't worry that daddy likes him more. Don't worry. He's going to serve you one day. 
I have a promise from God. He's going to serve you. You're going to be blessed. There's going to be something significant on your life. And this idea that he had to be the one out front began to just be the driving force in Jacob's life. Then we see on verse 29 that once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country. He'd been out hunting and he was famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's also why he's called Edom, which is red. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. He already had the promise that he was going to be blessed. It was already spoken from heaven, but I want it, I want it legally on earth. God's promise isn't enough. I'm going to add to it. I can't just rest in what God has said. I'm going to add to this. You know what? Sell me your birthright. You're supposed to get the lion's share of everything because you popped out first. No, I want that. I want that. Sell me your birthright. And he says, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What, what good is the birthright to me? I'm about to, about to starve to death. He's a little dramatic. He may be all stinky and sweaty from out hunting, but he's a drama queen, all right? He's a little dramatic. I'm going to die anyways. Just, just giving it. What good is it to me? But he said to Jacob, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Here we see Esau trading his future for his appetites. Another old, old story we see played out all the time of people trading their future, trading everything that God had wanted for them for their appetites. That's why our appetites have to be subjected and brought into submission to God. Just because you have an appetite for it doesn't mean you should follow it. Scripture said it. Scripture's pointed out. So here we are. Then we come to the point that it's actually time to receive the blessing, the Father's blessing. And we won't read that entire passage, but um, uh, uh, Isaac's eyes were dim. He couldn't really tell who was who. Rebecca wants him, her, her favorite Jacob, to get the birthright. So she helps trick, puts on some, some goat skins on his arms. I'm like, how hairy is this dude if goat skins is what he needs? And helps make him smell like the field a little bit. And so he ends up doing this thing because Esau wanted the, wanted the blessing. And his dad said, give me, some, give me some meat. He's still just using his son for what he likes. And they used that against him. And his mom made him some goat. And said that Jacob goes in there, tricks him, he gets the blessing. Esau just totally flips out. And in fact, in verse 36, Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? Isn't he really one who grasps at the heel? Isn't he a trickster? Isn't he one that tries to supplant and undo things? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. And then he asked his dad, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Here he is. We see Jacob just sitting here trying, trying, trying to get 
his blessing, trying to get what was pronounced on him before he was born. There was an assignment on him when he was in his mama's womb. There was a promise of, for his life while he was in his mother's womb that he was, a nation was going to come up out of him, but it was going to be even stronger, greater nation than the nation coming out of his brother. But here Jacob is. He's just trying to make it happen. Well, this creates tension, massive tension. And in fact, Esau gets so mad. Esau gets so mad that he says, as soon as dad dies, I'm killing Jacob. As soon as he's dead, as his dad's gone, I'm killing him. Uh, well, Rebecca overhears this. And she's like, son, you need to go. You need to get out of here. You need to go find a woman anyways. You need to go, um, go and head off to our family and go get yourself a wife and get away from your brother. And so he does. And he goes and he goes to get a wife. And sure enough, he gets tricked on his wedding night. And the, and the, the Rachel who he loves, he goes in and when daylight comes up the next morning, it ain't Rachel in his tent. It's her sister Leah. And he's like, oh, you tricked me and all of a sudden Laban is like you know what that wasn't right for me to marry off the younger before I'll let you have her sister as well you can marry her sister and but you got to work for me some more and then he ends up doing these things and Jacob's trying so hard and there's blessing on his life Laban his father changes his wages over and over and over and over. And every time Laban tries to cheat him, Jacob just gets more blessed because there was a promise of being blessed. But the whole time, Jacob's still trying weird things. He's like peeling poplar sticks and sticking them in front of him while the sheep are mating, like it's going to change the way things are going to go. He's just trying. He's just trying to, to make a blessing for himself. And then finally, it's time. Dad has passed, and it's time for him to go back home. His father-in-law is done with him. He's like, you, you've ruined me. Uh, you've taken my children. You've taken all my stuff, and he's got to go back home. And on his way home, he knows his brother is just going to be so livid with him. He's freaked out. So he decides he's going to break up into two groups. Since part of his family with one wife and part of his family with another wife, part of his flocks with one, so that if his brother comes at him and attacks, well, at least half make it away. If he attacks this group, fine. If he attacks that group, somebody's getting away, and then he sends them on ahead, and Jacob is alone. And in the place where he gets alone with God is where things really begin to change for him with God. And as he's in a place alone with God, he begins this space where he begins to wrestle with God. And as he, this is his moment where he finally decides to let God lead. And when you let God lead, three significant things we see for Jacob happen in Three significant things happen for us. When you let God lead, first is you find a new strength. You find a new strength. Here in Genesis 32, verse 24, it says, So, so Jacob was left alone, and, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. 
or other versions say it's an angel. It's, it's a heavenly being. Some say it was actually Jesus, that it's a Christophany. I didn't say that. I think it was an angel. Angel wrestles with Jacob, and Jacob is just determined, and he's just wrestling this angel. And why they're wrestling, I don't know. I don't know. That's weird. I, you know, couldn't they have a conversation? I don't know. Maybe Jacob just said, I, I'm just so frustrated with all this. I'm going to whoop somebody. And this angel showed up, going to like have a like, peaceful conversation. And he like decides, no, we're going to throw. I don't know. And so, but they end up wrestling. And they end up wrestling. And they wrestle all night long. And when the man, the angel, saw that he was not going to overpower him, that Jacob was not going to give up easily. The angel was there to bless him. The angel was not there to, to hurt him. But Jacob would not quit wrestling. He just would not just receive the blessing. He just would not receive what the angel was there for. And so many times, you and I, we begin to have an encounter with God, and we want to argue with him. We want to wrestle with him instead of receive what he has for us. How does that happen? Every time we say, but God, Holy Spirit begins to minister to you to forgive, and you're like, but God, they, 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 they. God begins to call you into something deeper. You're like, but God, I'm, 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 I'm. We wrestle with God with all of these buts. We get all of this too. And guess what? God begins to deal with the buts because he took his hip out of socket. He's like, you're going to keep wrestling me? You're going to keep doing that? He just touched his hip, popped it out of socket. Wrestling's over. He's like, you thought you were that tough? I could have ended this whenever. I was ready for you to just like say, okay, look, I'll take what you want to give me. But you wouldn't do it. So hard-headed pops his hip out of socket. We see this place where we understand that Jesus meets us in this place where we just have just been working and working and endeavoring, endeavoring over and over and over again. Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and you'll learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. It's funny, Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, come to me, and you'll find rest. And I would immediately think of, like, the rest I just had on vacation, which is do nothing. Just eat, chill, do nothing. That's not what he says. He says, come to me and you'll find rest and take my yoke. Begin to, you'll do the work you're called to do, but you're going to do it differently. All of a sudden, you're going to take this yoke, and this yoke is a specific word here in the Greek that Jesus uses, and it's not just to go to Walmart and get the old one-size-fits-all yoke. This is just sits there. Those existed back then, and they would wear on the animals and rub them raw. But the, but the, the gentle farmer who wanted to make sure that his, his animal was going to be able to, to, to work for him and be good for a long period of time would have a custom yoke made, and they would measure that animal and begin to do it where it wouldn't rub. That's the kind of yoke Jesus is talking about. Take my yoke upon you. It'll, it'll fit. It'll be built for you. It's not going to wear you out. You know how 
you, uh, to the, the biggest number one thing that lets you know you have been operating in your own strength is you're tired. You're tired. You're just wore out. Some of you, your relationship with God has made you tired. You're doing it wrong. You're trying to do something for him instead of letting him do something in you. Take his way of doing this on, not what you think he wants from you. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. It'll transform the way you connect with God. All of a sudden, you'll begin to find his strength. You'll begin to, what the scriptures say, we will mount up with wings like eagles. You ever seen one of the eagles? They're not sitting there. They don't look like the sparrows. They're not. They're not. They sit there, and when they don't, they wait for the thermals. They wait for the wind to be right, and then they just throw their wings out. It's so gentle. It's so majestic. It's so beautiful. You watch the little birds around here. You watch the sparrows. As soon as they quit flapping, they drop like a rock. And you sit there. They even fly like this. They're just flapping their little wings. That's not what God's called us. Scriptures say his, his eye is on the sparrow. He cares. He cares when we're in our little flutter modes. But what he's called us to do is to soar. He's called us to be able to live in, on a different level. And with that, he will give us a new identity, which really is not a new identity. It's your original identity. It's just new to you. It's just new to you. See, here in verse 27 says, the man asked him. Come on now. The man asked him, what is your name? The angel knew Jacob's name. God knows your name, but he needed Jacob to own it. And Jacob answered, I've been called trickster. I've been called supplanter. He answered, and then the man said, uh, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. And Israel means prince with God. All of a sudden, you're not going to be called one who's trying to make it happen, who's grasping at the hill. You're going to be the one who's a prince. You're the one who's going to inherit what I have for you, not trying to make it happen anymore. He changed his name, who was supposed to be all along, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. First John 4, uh, 1 John 1.42 says, and he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him. You are Simon, son of Jonah, but you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter, which means rock. We see this Jesus gave Simon Peter, a new name. Our scripture refers to him by what some would call a nickname. That is, we, we, you can, we look at first and second rock. First and second Peter. That's not the name his mama gave him. The name, name gave him Simon. But Simon just is this passive learner is what that means. And Cephas is rock. He says, I'm going to build on guys like you, is what Jesus says in this moment. Then we'll also see that you get a new joy. My goodness, I always preach long when I'm back from vacation. <laughs> Sorry. But you'll get a new joy. Genesis 32, 29 says, Jacob says, please tell me your name. 
He replied, why do you want to know my name? And then he blessed him there. He blessed him there. That was what the angel was there for the whole time. It's to say, quit operating in your own strength. Be who I've called you to be. And that's where you'll find the blessing. Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and they'll be filled. This word blessed is probably one of the hardest misconstrued things in the scriptures. People think that blessed means, you know, that, that everything just goes your way, you know, that all of a sudden, you know, your, your bank accounts are fat and everything's good. And this, this Greek word, <clears throat> this Greek word here for blessed actually is, refers to this peace that's deep down in your soul that the storms of life cannot rob. That's what this blessed is. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. So as we wrap it up this morning, when we look at what we can take away from Jacob's life, we see this, that when you find yourself on God's terms, you find fulfillment. Mark 8.34, calling the crowd to join his disciples. You know, that's what God is doing. He's calling the crowd to become a disciple. That's what God is asking you to, to become a disciple. He said, anyone who intends to come to me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. I love the way the message translation put that. Then the next verse will be in the NIV. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. In Colossians 3.3, 3, it says, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ. So how is this going to function? How is this going to work? And again, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, which you've been in the scriptures for a while. You've been a believer for a while. You'll, you'll have been familiar with, but I love the way the message translation put this. So, so this, is, well, this is how it happens. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping and eating, going to work, walking around life, your, your, your whole life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So our bottom line this morning is, is when you let God lead, you become freed. It feels counterintuitive. You feel like when you're the one in control, that's when you're free. But no, when you take him by the hand and you let him, you connect yourself to him, that's, that's when you become freed. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.